Hi, and welcome to In My Town with Emery Hayes. This is podcast four, all material under the laws of copyright. Other than the subject of writing from an author's point of view, I never know what the podcast will be about until I've completed my free write, and sometimes not until days after I've set it aside and realized that it's going someplace. So, what have I learned about myself today that could possibly be of value to you? How to use personality traits that will probably never change, probably shouldn't change, to your greatest advantage. It's also about one way in which a novel starts. These free writes are valuable, so keep doing them. They're cathartic, for sure, isn't all creative writing? They're a place of safety, even when mayhem reigns in the words you write. It's cocooning with the real world at a comfortable distance. There's excitement, a definite rush when things are working out on the page. At the end of it, there's accomplishment. And when things work right, anticipation for the next writing session. And when things turn to sh on the page, there's angst. There are scenarios that will tumble through your mind in the hours between sessions where you play plot points out differently or give a character an annoying habit or deceptive language or dialogue. Friends and family will try to hold a conversation with you, but you'll only catch a few words here and there. We'll have to puzzle out exactly what was said in order to save the moment. Yeah, that's the writer's life. That's a tough one. So let's get started. No shoes, no shirt, no problem. I'm borrowing that from Kenny Chesney, who probably borrowed that, or at least a sentiment, from Jimmy Buffett. One good thing about being raised by flower children is you go to wild concerts. And so I'm an experienced parrot head. I've survived a few land sharks. And while I understand the island groove and appreciate the slow-moving current moving through the town I live in, it's pretty hard to find it right now well into week six of our shelter in place. There's restlessness and unease. Or maybe it's just me, adrift in endless days. I'm not good at that. I'm a type A, up at 4 a.m., write for two hours, go to work, speed walk for an hour, then dive headlong into being mommy. Hit the sheets at 10 p.m., sleep deprived, probably. But I catch up on Sundays after a full day of writing and then crafting, playing, or adventuring with my kids on Saturdays. But on Sundays, I try to relax, do nothing except connect with my kids, who most of the time would rather be connecting with their iPads or friends. But if I dangle the carrot and it's big enough, we often find ourselves at the beach, followed by tacos on a deck overlooking the Pacific and sipping me a margarita or on Interstate 5 hurtling toward Legoland or Los Angeles and immersion in tar pits or oil paintings. When we bust out of here, and I know that's no time soon, I'm thinking it'll be the Santa Monica Pier and it'll be the whole weekend. We'll ride the Ferris wheel screaming, me, and throw softballs at rubber fish, eat cotton candy and churros, the kids, and dine somewhere in the salty air. Hop from one hotel pool to another wrapped in a cloud of shea butter and the breeze will be full of applause as the wind moves to the palm trees. You see, I'm good at dreaming of relaxing moments, but not so good at living them. I've been struggling with this for years, but this forced exile is helping me. It's possible, after however many months indoors with my nose pressed to the glass, that I will lead the pack as we run from our homes, unfurl our wings and catch a draft, pitch and swoop and tumble to the great wide open. Cue Tom Petty. So it's no surprise, with that kind of antsiness working inside me, 
that I have trouble writing scenes of serenity, that idleness doesn't exist in any of my novels, that every scene I've written that exudes peace eventually erupts in chaos. This week's free write is a good example, and here it goes. The pool is a lazy river, and the kids float by on donuts. They are shiny with sunscreen, and their goggles are pushed up on their foreheads. A waterfall. <laughs> and that's it. That is as far as I got on this forced free write. A good story has conflict. A great story has a series of conflicts that both challenges the characters and entertains the readers. I've been at this a long time, and I know when a story is emerging. I know not to fight it. Even though I have two novels currently in progress and one publishing in August, I have an editor waiting for book two of a two-book deal and 5,000 more words to write there, and I am growing impatient with the segues that pull me away from a novel I am eager to finish. I love the characters, the message, the setting, and want to move forward on that. Still, this new story has been brewing inside me. So, my true free write for this week. She wondered if the mountains were solid clay, they simmered in the last of the sun's rays and turned a rich shade of red. And now she understood why they were here in Sedona. High country, but still very much a desert. She didn't think she would like it, and she had told him so. But he had smiled, had laid a hand on her knee and stroked. And outside her window, the cities grew further apart, and the grass turned yellow and taller and swayed in the breeze created by the passing of cars along the narrow freeway. He calmed her, and she relied on that, and the emptiness, the unnatural stillness of the landscape during the day, which fit perfectly into the shape of her heart, burst to life as dusk settled, as pink and lavender and flame colored the sky. The air began to cool, not in small degrees, but like the falling of an elevator. Yes, the sudden tilting of the earth. She knew that feeling. She had grown comfortable with it. Feet grappled with the earth, bodies tumbled, People were lost. It gets cold fast, he said. His words shattered her tenuous equilibrium, pulled her back to the here and now. She felt her lips tighten over words that shouldn't be said. If she started screaming now, she may never stop. He walked across the deck and draped a sweater over her shoulders. Then he leaned against the railing and watched the sunset with her. A kindness, a togetherness that felt smothering. We can swim, he said. Below them, the surface of the pool rippled as the wind thickened. I'd like that. Okay. I'll pour us some wine, he offered. Red, she said. A bit heavy for the weather, but not the landscape. The management filled the fridge like we asked, he said. There's plenty of fruit. Should I make sangria? She nodded. I would like that. And that made him smile. He had said to her weeks ago, or months maybe, that it seemed very little moved her now. And that was true. She nudged along as a drowned body in a current. She was carried, she was adrift, and every once in a while she snagged on debris, one of which was his smile, a remnant of their past. He had always been ready to experience happiness, to include everyone in it. His smile had changed, and she liked it better now. It wasn't as big or as long, but had become steadfast. It was possible he had to reach for it every morning when the sun came up, surprising them both. He went inside. She heard the slider close behind her and then his footsteps on the rustic oak stairs as he descended, and finally, the clink of ice as he poured cubes into the pitcher. He left the kitchen and walked across the patio to a round table and four chairs. 
At one point, it would have fit their family perfectly. He stopped there and placed the sangria and glasses on the table. Then he turned and tipped his head back and he was framed in the sunset. The rugged lines of his face and shoulders blended into the landscape. Ready when you are. His trunks were red, white, and blue, long, bored, and faded, purchased with design in mind. The 4th of July, that year they had vacationed in the Grand Caymans. The girls were still in high school and grudgingly allowed their mother's push for uniformity in their Christmas card. They all wore patriotic suits. The girls with starred sarongs tied around their waists. She had known better. She didn't reach too far back into her closet anymore. When he had suggested Arizona, she had ordered a new suit online, a one-piece in a color that was quiet, muted, easily forgotten, jade or navy blue. It was still in its packaging tucked inside her suitcase. Coming, she called down to him. She pushed away from the railing, took several steps backward until she knew he could no longer see her, and then she let the twilight settle on her. She carried darkness better than light, and if there had to be light, she wanted it to be bright, so bright and so harsh it wiped out the delicate fissures on her face. Twilight was not as heavy to bear as sunrise. <clears throat> Stars were emerging in an indigo sky. A small slice of moon canted over the flat mesas, and into the persistent singing of the crickets, she spoke. Samantha is dead, she said, although they weren't sure of that. They had received a small piece of her cushioned on a swath of cotton like it was a jewel. It had arrived by messenger in a sealed box wrapped in thick brown paper. There were no fingerprints on the inside, not on anything, not even a partial. There had been no stray hair, no spittle, nothing to cull DNA from. They had received the piece because they hadn't listened. They had gone to the police, to the FBI. They had prepared the money, $1 million, with no plans of ever seeing it again, and the pining hope that at the end of it, they would have their Samantha. But that hadn't happened. Samantha is dead, she said again. She did this every night, said the words, listened to them ring with an airtight hollowness, lightweight and razor sharp, each an arrowed arrowhead, that pierced her skin because she didn't believe them, because she knew that dead was sometimes much better than alive, even when it was your daughter. End of free write. How does a novel begin? In this case, with setting. Well, I've been to parts of Arizona. I've only seen pictures of Sedona and the surrounding area, and I can't get the images out of my mind. The flat-top mesas, craggy, squat mountains blazing with color as a sunset, and many of them have really cool names. Courthouse Butte, Devil's Bridge, and Coffee Rock, Coffee Pot Rock. I am drawn to the endless miles of barren landscape and the many things that could happen there, as well as the emotions such scenery can draw from readers. And then, of course, Arizona has a history of lawlessness. Doc Holliday and White Earp drifted through parts of this rolling desert. So when I started my free write, I did it with scenery. I did it knowing there would be stillness, disagreement. And because Arizona is a place of extremes, I planted that too. The characters rose up out of the desert on their own, as did the heartache at their center. They're impaled by the loss of their daughter, and what happens next is anyone's guess, but there are some things I already know. One, while these characters will appear again in the novel, neither are the main, are the main character. One of them will play a big part, but I'm not telling which one. Two, this is another mystery, and it feels like a central character will emerge who will carry on a series. 
but I already have two of those and I'm already chasing the clock most days. Three, the central character will have a personal life that is equal parts clean and messy. Four, the missing daughter will become pivotal to the plot line. It turns out that some or all of this will become the prologue to a novel currently underway. It's choppy first draft material that needs time to breathe and time under the shears as well. I'm pointing this out because free writes often end up as used material. I'm hoping this will encourage you to keep writing, to take the snippets from your writing sessions, those that call to you further. Allow them to percolate inside you until they are ready for the page. You know you have a story worth writing and one, one that will almost write itself if it keeps knocking at the door. So keep writing. Claim a part of every day dedicated to chasing the word.